Good morning. We're in the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. And we'll do verses 1 through 10. But as we were worshiping, I just had Psalms come to mind. And we'll flip over there. Psalm 131, I believe. Psalm 131 says this, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. Nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord. I would say, O bridge, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. As we went through that worship set, it was, I think, pretty evident that the Lord was calling us into rest. It's like, just take it easy. Bring, a, bring your worship to me and just be at peace. It wasn't, you know, often you get in church and it's like, all right, we got to get up here. And Andre, I love that you're just following the, the leading of, of God and, and, and what he's doing and just... Often, I think worship leaders have this feeling like they got to come up here and they're like, okay, I got to get everybody excited. I got to get you all excited because I got to get you ready for when Rob gets up there or when the pastor gets up there and got to prime the pump, so to speak. But no, just, just the Spirit of God is just here moving. I don't know what your week looks like. I don't know what your month looks like. I know for the bridge, we've, we've gone through some things and we just need to be quieted. We just need to be calm. We need to be still. And know that he is God. He is so good. He is faithful. Trust in the Lord today and forevermore. For he is our salvation. He is our good. And so, as we get into Galatians today, we're going to be talking about the gospel that Paul preaches. And it's a gospel of freedom. And in that freedom comes rest. I mean, it's, it's not part of my sermon today, but I'm just hoping that you can see what, what the Spirit is showing us today. Like, we, we come and it's like, I don't know what your expectations were. You walk through the door, maybe, oh, okay, the, the bridge has pretty good music, it's going to do this. But God's just saying, hey, just be at rest. Just be at peace. And the gospel that we hear, that we're going to look at today, is a gospel that brings freedom, but it brings peace peace with God, but peace within our soul, that we can be at peace. And so I, I hope that that resonates with you as I go through our passage today. So Galatians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can uh, follow along with me. If you want to borrow one in the chair in front of you, you can do that as well. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, take the one in the chair in front of you. If you're like me and you're starting to use cheaters, take a red Bible, bigger print, uh, it's a free gift to you, um, or follow along on the screen uh, as, as I 
read our passage. So let me read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then uh, we'll pray. This is Paul writing to the churches. He says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of the false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed, to, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Will you pray with me? Father, as we go through this passage, we ask that the Holy Spirit would just illuminate the gospel. Holy Spirit, would you just shine the light on the Son, Christ Jesus. Teach us. Transform us. Help us to be in awe of just the grace and how simple it is. An unmerited favor that we did not deserve extended to us through you, Lord Jesus. Help us to, to not take that for granted and help us to <laughs> proclaim it with boldness. So we ask that you would lead us as we go through this passage. And we ask, Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verses 1 and 2, this is what we read. Paul says, then after an interval, I'm reading out of my NASB, but it's ESV on the screen. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. So what Paul says here is he went up to Jerusalem and he wanted to clarify his gospel message. He wanted to make sure that what he was saying and that what Barnabas was saying was accurate. 
that it really was the gospel that saves. They wanted to make sure that they had been giving to those in the region of Galatia the truth of God. They wanted to make sure that men and women were hearing the truth of how one becomes born again and into a relationship. And they didn't want to to mislead anyone. They didn't want to move anyone in the direction away from God, but they wanted all people to come to God. So he says, I I went up and I presented this gospel. Now, the gospel means good news. That's all it means. You hear in churches all the time, preach the gospel, be the gospel, do the gospel, 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 gospel. And it's like, what does that mean? At some point, it just becomes this gobbledygook. It's like gospel, gospel, gospel. It's like, okay, if everything's the gospel, nothing's the gospel. And it's like, what is the gospel? It means good news. It's good news. Unlike turning on the news nowadays, it seems like all we hear is bad news. This is good news. This is great news. Now, I don't know if you uh, are able to share the gospel really well. So what I'm going to do is go through uh, one way that I learned over the years to share the gospel and it's called the Romans Road, just using the book of Romans. And Paul has different verses that just explain very clearly what it means to believe on Jesus and what he has done and our response and, and how we are made right with God. It's just a very simple way. So if you're a note taker, this would be great to jot these down. And if you are one who likes to actually interact with people, a great thing to do is to let someone else read the, the scripture as you share it with them. I don't know how many of us are accustomed to taking a Bible wherever we go. Usually it's on our phone. But when I was doing evangelism and stuff, I'd always have like a little pocket Bible. And I had the Romans Road in it. And what I'd do is I, I would share with people. And if they were willing to read, uh, I would let them read it. I'd flip the Romans for them. And I would write upside down so I could read it the next passage I need to go to. And it's a little cheat, but hey, it works, right? So I would have highlighted the verse for them. Hey, read this verse and, what, you know, and then let's talk about it. And I'd say, okay, now flip over to this one. And we flip to that verse and, and they'd read it. And, and I just put the Romans road upside down so I could just be talking as they held the Bible and we could just have a discussion. And it's a real simple way to really just sit down across from somebody and just talk through the scriptures of what is the gospel. And there's something powerful when you read the Word of God, the Spirit of God working and moving. And so when you're like, well, I shared with them, have them read it too. There's something powerful in that. His Word does not return void. He uses it. The Spirit uses it to transform. And so starting here in Romans 3, 23, we read this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't know how many coffees you're going to have to have to convince somebody that all have sinned. In our culture today, ah, what is sin? Ah, it wasn't really that bad. Ah, you know, I think in our core, we're all just good people. We mess up. Ah, you know, our culture says there's really no right or wrong. Ah, the arguments can go on and on and on. This is the first, this is the first hurdle to the gospel. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. 
We're all born into this state because of Adam and his rebellion. All who are born are born dead in sin. And a great example is you don't have to teach kids to be sinners. They do it. And we do it as adults. I mean, we chuckle. Yeah, you don't have to teach. Well, think of how many things you've messed up this week. Attitude, heart posture, things that maybe you've said or done. But we are sinners. We just need to own it. That's the hardest thing. Like, we don't like to own failure. But you know what? When you can come to this part and you say, yeah, I'm broken. I've messed up. I, I don't live the way God wants me to live. Now you're on the path to be able to receive forgiveness. The first, the first part of the gospel is all have sinned, fall short of God's glory. They've missed the target. They have not lived the way he had had them to live. Romans 3, 10 through 18 then says this, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Like, wow, that is, that's heavy. That's, this is the state of man apart from Christ. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So here is a synopsis of what life looks like apart from the grace of God through Jesus Christ. This is what mankind's condition is. And as you speak with somebody, or as you're sharing this, it's like, hey, we all fall short. How do you fall short? What are these areas in which you struggle, in which you're not living for God? What things are you living for yourself? What does that look like? And you can talk through this and, and someone say, oh, I'm not that bad. Well, who are you comparing it to? Well, I'm comparing it to the guy over here. <laughs> Compare yourself to holy, holy God. Because that's the target. That's the goal. Like, you are to be holy as he is holy. And so, if you've ever fallen short of that, that means you're a sinner. So, a lot of times we like to compare ourselves to our neighbors around us and say, we're not doing that bad. Well, compared to holy God, we all fall short. So Romans 3.10 shows us that. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, let's just talk about the first part here. For the wages of sin is death. It's, it's punishment. There's physical death because we live in a broken world because of sin. Adam rebelled with Eve in the garden, and they fell into sin, and the world fell into corruption. And as beautiful as the sunrises and sunsets are, and as beautiful as all the different places you could go on this earth, every time you turn, I don't know if your computer's like mine, every time you turn on the computer, you get a different uh, place around the world, and, and you can look at it, and it's like, wow, I want to go there one day. Like, my bucket list of travel keeps getting longer every time I turn on the computer. It's like, I want to go see that. Oh, I want to go there, you know. As beautiful as all of those things are, it's fallen. It's not what God intended. 
He, he expected it to be even better. He wanted it to be even better for you and me. But because of sin, even nature's groaning. Even nature has fallen. And so we see that the punishment, the punishment is physical death. We all will have this body wear out. This tent will be no more one day. But for those of us who trust in Christ, we, we get a new body, a glorified body. We have a new heaven and a new earth coming. But the punishment for sin is death. There's, there's physical death, and we all experience that. A good friend of ours, several of us have been praying for their, a friend of theirs, just lost a, a dear loved one um, yesterday. And the loss of a child is so hard. It reminds us that this is not how this world's supposed to be. That's death that has creeped in. And there's spiritual death. And that's eternal separation from God who wants us in his presence. That's an eternal separation. Revelation 20, 13 and 14 says this. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So the second death, that spiritual death, all of those who have rebelled against God, who have not received the mercy and the grace of the cross from Jesus Christ, have not received forgiveness of sin, they will have their sins judged and they will be a part of the second death. They will be separated from him for eternity. Jesus said in the Gospels, hell wasn't created for man, it was created for Satan and the fallen angels. But man and his rebellion and his not receiving forgiveness that God extends goes there. So there is a judgment. The punishment is physical death, spiritual death, the lake of fire, is what awaits. Well, Romans 6.23 again says this, and Romans 5.8, yeah, you may have those together, but the wages of sin is death, but the, go back to 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, and Romans 5.8 says, but God shows us, shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there was, there was one uh, a theologian, and, and they said, if you had 20 minutes to share the gospel, what would you do? And he said, I would probably spend the first uh, 15 minutes convincing people of those scriptures I just went over, that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. He said, because if I can convince them that, then these in the next five minutes will be really easy. God loves you, and he sent his son for you to, to pay your penalty, to to take the punishment. The, the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The eternal death is reversed. The curse is broken. The work of the devil is destroyed and it's under his feet. He has all authority. He brings forgiveness. It's a free gift. He shows his love for us and that he sends his son. I don't understand that at times. Like God 
looked down and he said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, Rob, I knew you and I knew that you would need this forgiveness. And so before the foundations of the world were even laid, I had already had agreement within the Godhead of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, had already agreed that the Son would come and redeem mankind. That's great love. And so he loves us, and he has sent Jesus to be uh, our our uh, propitiation, our payment. 2 Corinthians 5.21 states it this way. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus takes the sin of the world on himself at the cross. Now, how can he do that? Well, one, he's fully man, so he can die in our place. Two, he's sinless, so the sacrifice is sufficient because it must be sinless, spotless. He sacrifices himself. But third, how can he take the full weight of God's wrath? Because he's God in the flesh. Fully God, fully man. He absorbs the entire wrath of God on sin. Only he can do that. Only he can forgive it and only he can absorb it. The sin of the world poured out on him. So in this sense, he became sin by, by standing in our stead. I heard uh, one guy say it this way. He said that at the cross, Jesus was beaten and bloodied and, and marred, and he was unrecognizable. And he became unrecognizable so that we would become recognizable to the Father, that we would have righteousness of Jesus, that he would see us and recognize us as his own. That's a beautiful image of what God has done for us. This is how he loves us, that he sent his son. So Romans 10, 9, and verse 13 say this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the, do you believe this? Now, there's there's this idea of belief, and then there's belief. What do I mean? I mean, even Satan and the demons believe and they tremble. They believe in Jesus. They're not going to be saved. We can believe, but do we have faith? Do we believe that the work on the cross was sufficient, that he took our place, that he would take our place, that he would give us this grace? Do we have faith that that transaction is actually happening? Because let's be honest, sometimes people come and they're like, oh, I didn't feel any tingles or anything. Like, I don't know. Like, Others come and they're just a mess. They're weeping and they're crying and just like and they're repenting. And then the other guy's like, "Well, I believe." And they pray and there's like they don't have all the, you know, the feels that come with it. Faith is saying, "I don't need all the feels." The man who's broken and weeping and the man who just says with his mouth, "I I trust this." They both can have saving faith. They both. What what's how do we know? Look at their life afterwards. Was it changed? Was it transformed? Are they walking in new ways? Are they starting to walk and look more like Jesus day after day after day? 
That, I mean, that's where we see that true belief and true faith resides in the individual. So if you believe in your heart, if you believe in the core of who you are and confess it with your mouth, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And because I was buried with him, I'll be raised with him. My sins have been removed as far as east is to the west, and he has given me new life. Thank you, Lord. I believe that he has come and he died, and he was buried, and he rose from the grave on the third day. If you believe and confess it, then what? You're saved. You'll be saved. And the Spirit of God will come and and be poured into your heart, and you will be born again. You will be new. You believe, you confess, you turn from sin, and you're made new. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we've been justified by faith. All right, kids, here's an easy way to remember justified. It's just if I never sinned. Justified. (laughs) Justified never sinned. Some of the adults are like, I'm going to write that down. That's good. (laughs) We are made right. We have been justified by faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. You have peace. We come in here today with all kinds of stuff. And the eternal reality is, is if we have God, we have everything. This is just a light momentary affliction that we're walking through. That sounds just kind of flippant to some, like you don't know what I'm walking through. Yeah, but in light of eternity, in light of holy God and what he has for us and the good that he has for us and the blessing that he bestows on us and the place in heaven for us and that we will be in his presence forever and ever and that we reign with him and we're sons and daughters of the king of the universe, like all of this, like this is this light momentary. We have peace So what's ever going on in your life right now, you can be at peace. Yeah, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. What I'm saying is, in your soul, you can have peace of Christ ruling and reigning. And so the gospel reminds us of that. We have peace with God. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. That's what Paul's talking about here, by the way, in Galatians. The law cannot do it. You can't be good enough. You can't can't toe the line. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't be good enough and fulfill this. You break one, you've broken it all. We're all sinners. Paul says the law can't do it. In our fallen state, in our flesh, we can't come to God. But God brings us near through the blood of Jesus Christ, and there's no condemnation. How many of us approach the throne of grace in our condemnation, in our guilt, and in our shame? We're like, I don't know, like, I don't think God wants to hear from me today. Why? Well, you know, I really screwed up this week. There's no condemnation. Jesus paid for that sin. Now, he wants to transform you. He will help you and change you and discipline you, but that's a loving father. If you were separate from God, he wouldn't worry with it because he's just going to pour out wrath on the end. But he loves you, and as you've come to him, there's no condemnation. He's like, 
That's been paid for. The penalty's been paid for. Now let's work on this. Let's change this. He says, come, let me be with you and let me change you. Let me show you my joy. Let me show you how life is meant to be lived. Let me show you how you can do this in a better way. So by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we don't walk according to the flesh. We don't walk in legalism and religious behavior. We walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit brings us to this place where we love the Word of God. It's God speaking to us. It's His revelation. He's saying, hey, I want to tell you some things, and I've written it all down for you. And we say, praise you, God. Thank you, God. And we love it and we feast on it. We eat the word and it should be honey in our mouth. And as we are in the flesh, like the prophet, we say, but it also sometimes feels like this, this pain in the gut almost. Because why? Because as we read the word of God, it shows us where God wants to change us more and more, where he wants us to be more like his son. And sometimes it makes you feel like, oh, like, like, like I've just been stomach punched, you know? But it's not because God's condemning you and saying, you're such a bad person. He's saying, I want to show you something better. The psalmist says it this way, that God has laid the, the parameters down and it is good for me. He's laid down the guardrails of life and living in God's way in between those parameters. It is good for me. There's life, there's abundance, there's flourishing, there's blessing. And so the word, we love it and we fulfill it because the spirit causes us to walk in it. We don't fulfill it and then get eternal life. We get eternal life and in the spirit, we walk and fulfill the law. So this is the point. Paul's preaching this gospel. And, and he's gone to the apostles, and there's this meeting in our Bible in Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 30. So he says, he went up because of a revelation that was given to him, and he submitted this gospel. And in Acts chapter 11, it says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So Antioch, people are coming to faith, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and, and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So there was the, there was the persecution in Jerusalem, everybody spreads out, and they're sharing the gospel, and people in Antioch hear the gospel, and they're receiving it, and Jerusalem gets word that the Gentiles in Antioch are are receiving Christ, and they say, well, let's send Barnabas to make sure, like, what are they hearing? What are they believing? And, and so he goes, and he sees, yes, indeed they are. And so uh, many people are added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So these are ones who are loving the Lord and learning from the Lord and walking in newness of life. And they look more and more like Jesus that the world starts to mock them and says, you're just little Jesuses. You're just little Christians, little Christs. And they're like, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> That's what I want. I want to be like him. And so 
Uh, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So why does he go up to Jerusalem? He goes up to Jerusalem to take an offering. He says, but I went there by revelation. He says, it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached. So they, they have this prophetic man among them named Agabus, and he says, in the spirit, there's going to be a famine. And this prophetic word is, is a, a moment for the church to have an opportunity to exercise its faith, to exercise its giving and its generosity, to exercise loving the brothers in the other areas, back in Jerusalem in particular. And it's an opportunity for Paul to go and get clarity on his gospel. So this revelation takes him to Jerusalem with Barnabas. In verse 3, it goes on and says this. He says, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So Titus, who's a Gentile, is with them. He's not mentioned in Acts 11, but he's mentioned here. So Titus is a, is a trusted companion of Paul. Paul even writes a letter to him. We have the book of Titus right after First and Second Timothy. So in hearing the gospel, he does not feel compelled to do what the Judaizers are saying. They're saying you must become a Jew to receive Jesus. You must fulfill the, the, the rituals and the washings and the dietary regulations and all the Old Testament laws. You have to fulfill all of this. And Titus doesn't feel compelled to do that at all. He's heard this gospel we just walked through that Paul's been preaching. And he's like, no, it's not by that. It's by faith in Jesus alone. I don't need to be circumcised. So Titus is not going to be circumcised. And he goes with Paul. Now, Titus going with Paul and being accepted by the brothers there, it affirms the gospel. It affirms the gospel. The Gentiles are hearing the good news of Jesus, and Titus comes with them, and Paul's there with Barnabas. Both of them are very good Jews. These, Paul was a Pharisee. Barnabas was a devout man of faith. And before he was called son of encouragement, uh, his name was Joseph. And he, he served God and he loved God and he heard the gospel. And so you have these two men who are devout Jews and they bring a Gentile with them who's a believer in Jesus. And the apostles receive all three as equal brothers. Yes. And they don't add to Titus saying, you know, brother, you really need to be circumcised. You know, you need to keep the law. You know, they really shouldn't be eating with you. None of that. They receive it. And so Paul is saying, this is the gospel I've preached, and this is the gospel that Barnabas has been preaching with me, and this is what we have been saying, and people have been coming to Jesus. And here's Titus, who is proof of what we've been teaching and preaching, and they just say yes. They affirm it. So the giving of the Spirit transformed Titus, and the giving of the Spirit transformed the, the Gentiles. Even when Peter had preached... Uh, they said that. They said when Peter went and preached, the giving of the Spirit showed that God was saving the Gentiles. 
And Paul says in verse 4 about these false brethren, though. So Titus goes up with them. He's accepted. Verse 4, we read this. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. False brethren sneaking in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. That's strong language. He says they're false brothers, meaning they're not brothers at all, meaning they are not in Christ. These men are apart from God. These men have a different gospel. These men are on their way to hell unless they repent and turn. And if you receive their gospel, you're in the same boat with them. These are false brothers. That is a strong term. That's a strong language he uses. Uh, it reminds us of Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. Let him be anathema. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so these false brothers have come in. Now, I don't think these guys felt that they were false brothers. They probably felt like, no, we have, we have the right way. We need to do some correction. We think that this is what the gospel is. This is how it should be practiced. This is how you should live. They didn't show up with name tags that said, hello, my name is False Brethren. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. Let me lead you astray. Come on, this way. They didn't come in like that. But they did. They, 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 Paul says they snuck in. They came into the fellowship, and they had the intention of changing the truth that we were preaching, changing the doctrine, changing the gospel. So, again, they probably saw themselves as sincere. But what made them false is that they have a different gospel. That's what made them false. Okay, now listen. We're talking about the gospel. We read this, and we so quickly can put other people who have different points of view on Scripture into this camp and say, oh, they were preaching this or they were teaching that or whatever. And Paul is talking about the gospel. That's where he is. Verse 5, he says this. He says, But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. So Paul doesn't treat this as just something affecting the non-Jews. Like, it doesn't bother me. I'm a Jew. I'm already circumcised. I'm, I got the covenant markings and all that stuff. Like, I'm good. Like, it's just really between these guys. No, no, like, he says this is affecting everybody. Why? Because this is how we are saved. It doesn't matter who you are. This is how you must be saved. So he's, he's not going to sit on the sideline. He's going to say, no, you cannot come in with a different gospel. You cannot come in with this teaching that leads us into works of the law to be saved. If the gospel is compromised, then everyone placed in bondage under that message. So he says we didn't give in. 
Paul says we stood firm so we all who name Christ will have the true gospel. He stood firm so that you and I would have this gospel so that we could hear the truth that by faith you can be saved, not of works, not of anything that you've done. Just by coming and believing on Jesus, you and I can be saved. He stood firm so that we here today have that gospel. Now, that's somewhat different than what is called three tiers of doctrine. So I'm going to bring this into a little bit more of our context here. It's different than what is called three tiers of doctrine. The first tier, those are essentials. A denial of these is a denial of Christianity. These are the truths we must all affirm. We must all believe about God and the Trinity, about Jesus and fully man, fully God, about salvation and and his death on the cross. Like the essentials of Christianity. You deny this, you are not a Christian. You can call yourself a Christian, but if you deny the essentials of the Orthodox faith, then you're not following Christ. So in this, as we all adhere to the essentials of what has been given to us, has been handed down in the revelation given to us in the scriptures, as we all affirm it, it doesn't matter what denomination you call yourself, you must affirm the essentials or you cannot be in Christ. That gives us unity. That's what Paul's talking about, the gospel the gospel that brings us together, the gospel that causes us to all be brothers and sisters and be daughters and sons of the Most High King. We may have different outworkings and different denominations and different things going on, but we all must affirm the essentials or we're not together. We're not in Christ. Now, the second tier, we may disagree on some things. (laughs) We do. We disagree on some things. We read this and it's perfect Man, this is the perfect revelation of God given to us. But we are in the flesh, and we're trying to discern in the Spirit as best we can what God is saying and what He means and how we practice. Our orthodoxy, what we believe, should inform our orthopraxy, how we behave, right? So we're trying to understand this as best we can, but, but man does not always come to the same place, does he? And there's a bunch of different doctrines and different things out there and different things that are within the bounds of Scripture, and we may disagree. And so much so, some of those disagreements create significant boundaries between believers. I, I listened to uh, a sermon series given by Eric Ludi, and he was going through Corinthians, and he was talking in his first uh, series. Like, if you read the book of Corinthians and you just take apart all the different issues they had, he's like, you just start see denominationalism. Like, here's all these different denominations that start creeping out of, this, out of this book. So this is what happens in second tier. The conscience of the believer says, that's a big deal to me. Like, I, I, this one, I'm not going to budge on it. This one is a deep conviction of mine. And I don't see it the same way as you. Not that I'm, I'm, call, I'm not calling you a false brother and I'm not casting you out, but I'm just saying I don't think we can really be in the same ministry and worship space together. We're just, we're just not coming together here. And it causes a, a separating. It causes barriers, significant uh, barriers at times and boundaries between believers. And then there's third tier. We may disagree, but it doesn't hinder fellowship. Now, second and third tier, things vary from person to person. 
So for some of us, it's like, I really don't care about that doctrine. <laughs> and, but for someone else, they're like, but this is one, I'm, I'm planting my flag on that hill. Like this one, how can you not care about this doctrine? <laughs> this is like, this is so significant. Does it change the gospel? No. Okay, well, we're not at first tier then. But if we're at second tier and the convictions and what's being taught at second tier elevate to first tier, it better be because it's changing the gospel and we're going to have to have a serious conversation because we're keeping people away from Jesus. But what happens in a broken world and is we elevate these things at times. Instead of working with love and charity towards each other, sometimes we elevate the different tiers and we struggle to find peace with each other. Brothers and sisters, let me say this. We can have second and third tier disagreements, but we need to love one another. We need to bless one another. We need to look at one another as redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We will be <laughs> with those second tier Brothers and sisters that don't agree with you on certain doctrines, you will be standing next to them in heaven worshiping Jesus. <laughs> and I think in light of that, we need to be able to walk in grace and, and walk in humility. So Paul is talking about first-tier doctrines, about salvation, what it means to be a Christian. Augustine put it this way, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity, or in all things, love. In the essentials, togetherness. In non-essentials, okay, liberty, in all things, charity. Romans 14, 5 through 10 says this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, and he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Paul says, we need in the greater fellowship to have what politicians like to call the big tent, you, you, you'll hear that more and more as, as we get closer to the election. You know, each party is going to say, we need to have a big tent approach, a bigger tent to get as many people in as possible. Now, we're not talking about compromising convictions and faith, but as best as we can follow the scriptures, we want to create a fellowship that invites brothers and sisters through the front door to come and be at peace and to worship together. That doesn't pass judgment on one another, that doesn't look at each other and say, you're false because of this or because of that. I'm being very vague, I know. And you're, you probably could say, are you talking about all this liberal stuff that's out there in liberal Christianity? No, I'm not talking about those things. Those are actually outside the camp. Those are things we'd have to say, repent, brother, repent, sister. You need Jesus. 
You need to be transformed. I'm talking about normal Orthodox Christianity. Pick up Wingroom's Systematic Theology book and go through the doctrines in there, and we will have disagreements, and that's okay. In this setting, we should be at peace. We should be able to be at peace. As a church, we have a culture. We have a culture. What's the bridge? We, we believe in the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit. But that doesn't mean we should press on the conscience of those who don't, and nor should we press on the conscience of those who believe further in another way. But we have created an environment where we're saying we want as many people who walk through that door to experience what it is to worship God together, to be in his presence, to be his people, one people, one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one faith, that we are one in him because it's the gospel that brought us together. It's the gospel that brought us together. And we have liberty for each other. We have grace for each other. Yeah, some of you guys are weird. I get it. Not me. But I love you. Because you're not living unto me. You're living unto the Lord. And I live unto the Lord. And so we try to work together to exalt Jesus together. And you know what? As we do that and we find harmony and unity... We find that there's a diversity of gifts and abilities and an arrangement of a, a, a beautiful arrangement of who God has put here, and the church functions so much differently, and it reaches its community so much more effectively. And so, we have to take these things in consideration. So when you read a passage like this, don't let the enemy creep in and say, look, they're false brethren because they don't believe like you do on the second or third tier issue. No, Paul's saying it's the gospel. That's, these are the false brethren. It's the gospel of Jesus they perverted. We have to learn to be at unity and liberty and peace and humility with one another. And at times, yes, we, we just won't be there. So what do we do? We bless one another. Why? Because they are the Lord's. We say, brother, sister, I get it. May the Lord bless you richly, use you powerfully. May he exalt uh, through you the ministry of Jesus Christ. May you be productive in the kingdom as you put your hand to the plow, whatever that may look like. And while we may not minister together, I will fully bless and pray for you and your ministry because you are his. And I look forward to the day when we can be at oneness, at peace, at unity around the throne worshiping. There's no reason to backbite and, and, and divide. We should bless. Bless his people. Verses 6 through 9 Got to really, got to really go. Six through nine, he says, but from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. It's all equal at the cross, right? Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel of the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me, also to the Gentiles. 
And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul points out that as Peter, James, and John heard the gospel that he preached, they had nothing to add. And all four, Paul, Peter, James, John, we can include Barnabas, we could include Titus, that, there's that meeting, but they all recognized that the Spirit was working in their ministries. They're different ministries, but the same Spirit. And so they bless the ministry of each other that God has called them into. Now get this, for the Jew following Christ may be practiced differently than the Gentile. It is practiced differently. It looks different. Same Spirit of God and its same holy convocation together worshiping their Lord, and that's their orthopraxy. That's how it works out. That's what it looks like. They're not doing anything outside of Scripture. They're, they're walking with God and showing their love for him. And it looks different than the Gentile church that's coming together as the gospel goes out. But it's not so much that their fellowships look identical. It's the same gospel. That's what they have in common, the same gospel. That's what unites them. So our messianic brethren have the same gospel and Jesus, the Messiah, by faith they come to him and he fulfills the law and they are brought in and they see the fullness of what God had for them as chosen people. And they give their hallelujahs. We have the same gospel and we are grafted in, as Romans says. We're grafted into one people. Ephesians 2, 11 through 15 says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made by the, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. We are brought together in Jesus, and there is peace because of the gospel. So as they get ready to depart, he says this in verse 10. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Why did he go there? Why did he go there? Well, think way back an hour ago when I started talking. <laughs> why, why did Paul go to Jerusalem? With the offering. Why do you take an offering? Because there's need. Who was the poor? Well, those in Jerusalem at that time were poor. Like they were in need. And they're like, hey, just remember the poor. You know, no, he's saying, remember the poor in spirit, remember the poor in need, wherever you are. And Paul's like, of course, that's why we're here. <laughs> we want to share Christ with people in very real ways. Matthew 28, 
the Great Commission. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How do you go and make disciples? You say, follow me as I follow Jesus. And this is what life looks like. Oh, you have need? Let me help you. Let me be generous to you. Let me pray for you. Let me do whatever I can to come alongside. Those who are poor in spirit, we preach the word to them and we give them the gospel. Those who are poor in need, we give them what we can in generosity so we have a doorway open so we can preach the gospel to them. You know what I like about the word gospel? The first two letters. What are they? Go. Gospel. <laughs> Don't say it that way. <laughs> but it's the gospel of Jesus. Go. That's what they say to Paul and Barnabas. Go take care of the needy. And they're like, absolutely. We want to be in people's lives. So brothers and sisters, here it is. We have heard the gospel today. Have you received it? Have you received that gospel by faith? And if you have, be encouraged because no matter what you're going through, you have peace available. And then go. Go and share it. And bless those along the way that are the Lord's. You may not be together. That's okay. Bless the Lord's people. Share the gospel with those in darkness. And may we all see Jesus revealed from heaven sooner than later. Amen? Let's pray. Stand with me if you will. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you that Paul preached the gospel and stood firm on it, that he didn't give in. And so we want to do the same. We want to just worship you in this last moment in peace, knowing that we have peace with you, that we can rest in your presence because of what Jesus has done. And we want to share that with others. So God, we just pray that you would just help us to take this good news and share it with each other to encourage one another when we're struggling, to bless one another when we're at odds with each other, to bring peace, and to take it to those who need to know you, who are separated from you. There is a loving God who wants them to come near, and Jesus is the way to do it. So we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.